This week, vulnerabilities in Android camera apps exposed millions of users to spying. Could you say overexposed? That was, that was a photography joke. Uh, what to do if surveillance has you worried? GitHub launches a security lab to boost open source security. Disney Plus credentials landed on the dark web just hours after the service was launched. And 146 security flaws have been uncovered in pre-installed Android apps. In our expert commentary, we welcome Bob Erdman, Senior Manager of Product Management at Core Security, a help systems company, to talk about effective phishing campaigns. All that and more on this episode of Hack Naked News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show that brings you the security news each week. And despite popular belief, we do wear pants. It's Hack Naked News. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV courses live and on demand, so there's no need to send staff to off-site training. Team subscriptions include Pro Portal, so managers have full control over your team's training schedule. Go to itpro.tv hack-naked and use the code HN30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership. Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Welcome to Hack Naked News, episode number 242 for November 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian. Uh, first, want to encourage our listeners to register for some of our upcoming webcasts. Actually, there's only two left for the year. Kevin O'Brien of Great Horn uh, will be on, as well as Steve Lobenstein from Core Security. You should register for both of them by going to securityweekly.com, clicking the webcast drop-down menu, select registration. If you missed our previously recorded webcast, you can get those in the same menu from our on-demand library. And of course, every webcast that you attend here at Security Weekly, you can qualify to receive one CPE credit. Uh, and now, the security news for this week. Vulnerabilities in Android camera apps are exposing millions of users to spying. Checkmarks is responsible for this research and demonstrated the impact of the vulnerability by creating a fake weather application that only requires storage permissions. Exploitation of the camera app vulnerabilities and having the storage permissions allowed the malicious application to take a photo using the victim's camera, record a video, and record both sides of a voice call. The app could also upload photos, videos, and voice call recordings to the attacker server, um, extract location data from the photos to track the victim, and mute the phone in an effort to operate in stealth mode. Now, normally an application would have to request camera, microphone, and location storage permission and storage permissions to be able to perform these activities, but Thanks to CVE 2019-2234, made it all possible to bypass those permissions and abuse the default camera app. Uh, and this actually has been fixed, so make sure that you update. 
An undocumented access feature has exposed Siemens PLCs to attacks. Now, these are not remote, remotely exploitable, from what I could gather from the article, but could lead to other vulnerabilities as it gives the attacker access to the firmware. The researchers analyzed the device's firmware integrity verification mechanism, which is triggered on boot and uses bootloader code that is stored in a separate SPI flash memory. An investigation of this bootloader, which experts believe is present on the S7-1200 PLCs made since 2013, revealed the existence of undocumented access mode. The Siemens S7-1200 PLC, described by the researchers as hardware-based special access feature, it's normally designed to provide additional diagnostic functionality during manufacturing. However, as oftentimes with uh, embedded systems, they don't turn that stuff off, and they discovered an attacker with physical access to the PLC through a cold boot attack by sending a special command via the Universal Asynchronous Receiver Transmitter, or URT, interface. I love how they spell out all the acronyms. It's great. Uh, during the first half of the PLC's boot process allows them to dump the firmware from memory. Ring doorbells in the police. What to do if surveillance has you worried? Now, Ring has launched the new Neighbors app, which connects local residents to help find lost pets and view crime alerts in their area, share details of thefts or whenever people might deem suspicious activity. Police departments now can sign up with Ring and also then look at the posts on the neighbor apps. Um, they can also ask Ring if the neighbor's users are willing to share video clips in a certain area for a specific time frame. Of course, some are quick to point out some of the negatives from a privacy perspective, and they, they say, and I quote, Amazon is building a privately run for-profit surveillance state, and they're getting local police to market it for them in exchange for VIP access to Amazon's on-demand surveillance system. Uh, a member of FFTF wrote in a September petition calling on mayors and other locally elected officials to stop Ring's partnership with the police. A design flaw in Bluetooth devices leaves them vulnerability, and this vulnerability centers around the unique identifier, UUID, which is often broadcast in the clear for Bluetooth low-energy devices, leaves the devices open to fingerprinting, which is the heart and soul of this attack, which I believe a lot of us have already known. Um, so at the very least, it will allow an attacker to determine what type of Bluetooth, de Bluetooth devices are present by the UUIDs being broadcast. Lynn, the researcher who uh, led all of this vulnerability research, him and his team took a Bluetooth sniffer on a tour of the university's uh, 1.28 square mile campus and found 5,800 Bluetooth devices operating, 94% of which were vulnerable to fingerprinting and 7.4% were vulnerable to unauthorized access or eavesdropping attacks. Additionally, it was revealed that the Bluetooth signals emitted by these devices extended much farther than they thought. Uh, the quote from the article is, the typical understanding is that Bluetooth low energy devices have signals that can only travel up to 100 meters. However, they found that with simple receiver and adapter and amplifier, the signal can of course be uh, extended to over 1,000 meters. Uh, so clearly implementations of Bluetooth low energy have some vulnerabilities, mostly fingerprinting though, uh, which again is something that uh, we've known about. GitHub is launching the security lab to boost open source security. It's a big task and an important issue to address. Launched last week at GitHub Universe, the developer conference, the idea sounds simple enough. Create a global platform for reporting and fixing security vulnerabilities in open source projects before they do serious damage. 
it sounds so obvious. It's surprising that no one's really thought of it before. I'm sure some have. Uh, GitHub is, of course, implementing this, and they might have something to do with the size of the job, admitted GitHub's vice president of security product management in Security Lab's uh, launch blog. They say, securing the world's open source software is a daunting task. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for weighing in on that. Um, with uh, with Sophos who reported the article, uh, they've had zero ransomware infections. Uh, oh, sorry, that wasn't supposed to be in the teleprompter, but Burgundy reads whatever's on the teleprompter. Uh, to boost its credibility, GitHub has already signed up big companies, namely Google, Oracle, Mozilla, Intel, Uber, VMware, and others, including HackerOne. Um, this has already borne fruit, according to the article, with companies collectively finding more than 100 CVE-level security vulnerabilities. Uh, I'm not sure what CVE-level means. An arbitrary CVE-level? Vulnerable enough to warrant a CVE? Which, anyway. Uh, anyone who joins them will qualify for bug bounties of up to $3,000, according to GitHub. WhatsApp remote code execution triggered via videos. Attackers can exploit this flaw by merely sending the user a targeted uh, video, a specially crafted MP4 file. Uh, Facebook is warning its users that this vulnerability is existing and I believe has been patched. The MP4, of course, uh, contains lots of stuff other than just the audio and video. Uh, and further details around how the MP4 files would be need to be crafted was not disclosed, though I'm sure if you look hard enough, you'd probably find it. Uh, the issue was present in parsing the elementary stream metadata of an MP4 file and could result in a denial of service condition or remote code execution, according to an advisory issued last week. The WhatsApp flow of CVE 2019-11931, I should say, is, of course, a buffer overflow. Disney Plus credentials land on the dark web just hours after the service is launched. This is really password uh, reuse at its finest and attackers just really going out and finding credentials that already exist, applying them to Disney Plus and getting in. If you're a Star Wars fan, you have to watch The Mandalorian. It is just awesome. Uh, but back to the Disney Plus accounts, they're selling on the underground for 3 to $11 per account. Um, others for free and as attackers took advantage, of course, users who share their uh, accounts or have been hacked before in some other way and have reused those credentials, essentially, is what the article is saying. More importantly, again, if you're a Star Wars fan, you definitely have to check out The Mandalorian. I won't spoil it for you and be careful because there's like a spoiler potential there. So don't read anything about it if you haven't watched it. I won't spoil it for you, I promise. 146 security flaws have been uncovered in pre-installed Android apps. Just one, I mean, it's one reason to use the Pixel platform. Uh, there might be a couple of others, but it's the reason why I use the Pixel platform. Uh, researchers at CryptoWire with a K have uncovered 146 security vulnerabilities in pre-installed apps across 29 Android OEM devices underscoring the vast scope of the problem. The shortcomings discovered in the study funded by the Department of Homeland Security range from unauthorized app installs to the ability to modify system and wireless settings and even record audio. More troubling, it includes some apps from well-known OEMs like Asus, Samsung, and Xiaomi. Uh, Samsung disputed the findings in a statement to, to Wired who reported this article stating, we have promptly investigated the apps in question and have determined that the appropriate protections are already in place. Some disagree, and unfortunately for the users, you can't easily go in and uninstall these apps unless you're jailbreaking your device. 
With that, we'll take a short break and come back with Bob Erdman from Core Security. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back everyone to Hack Naked News. I'd like to introduce our expert commentary guest for this episode, Bob Erdman from Core Security, a help systems company. You can learn more about health si help systems even by going to securityweekly.com forward slash help systems. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. It's good to have you. you. Wanted to talk about email phishing, which is a, a topic near and dear to my heart, especially recently having done a little bit of research into some of the latest phishing techniques. But an effective phishing campaign is not always easy as it sounds. And I think internal phishing campaigns can also present some of their challenges, although it kind of removes some of that external uh, OS int from the equation. Mm -hmm. You're definitely right with that. And we do see that phishing campaigns can be a very effective uh, part of your overall security awareness training programs. And really it's somebody trying to masquerade as somebody else or something else in order to get critical data or else get somebody to maybe download malware and get it into the enterprise. So we like to see that people are using these tools and making sure that they're exposing their users to it early internally before it happens externally. You know, uh, we in, know that, so Bob, that's ahead. a great point. And I've heard a couple of stories lately where um, they describe a, a phishing attack and the, the attacker got pretty well into this particular fish in two completely separate organizations from two completely different sources. It was like the same story, right? A well-crafted phishing campaign was looking to steal money via wire transfers. And in one case, it was stopped because in the process, they had to send a fax and that, that, that caused like red flags and they discovered it and fortunately caught it before millions of dollars was transferred. In the other case, um, it was they were phishing employees and uh, HR to change direct deposits to, again, initiate a wire transfer. Mm -hmm. And there was a phone call in their process that was like, hey, did you really want to you know change this? Uh, and that caught them. But now in both circumstances, the companies took it very seriously and was like, wait, None of our security protections, other than our processes, were able to detect this attack. And they felt kind of like really um, vulnerable after that and want now better phishing protections, right? And I think what you're pitching, Bob, is have your internal teams do that and raise that same level of awareness without that huge risk of losing potentially millions of dollars. Absolutely. This is not just a way for us to teach our users to be better at recognizing what's coming in, but we also want to use these tools to validate our internal controls and make sure that yeah. we shouldn't be able to do things ourselves that the attackers are going to do so that we can catch these before they come in. Um, for example, I was at a meeting with a large multinational recently, and their CISO said they get about 50,000 phishing attempts that they recognize and block every month just on average. So you're 99% effective, maybe 99.5. That's still hundreds of messages that might be getting through your controls. So you really want to have the whole environment being tested as part of this process. 
Yeah, and and I think it's it, you, the word there is process, right? And this whole thing is a process, and the technologies and uh, testing that I like to see really helps kind of hone in your user in uh, awareness and training programs, right? Making it just very clear cut for the user, not necessarily training them to be forensic analysts in security, right? But making it very easy for the user to make that call. And I, I like to promote the verify and then trust uh, methodology, right? Right. Just because you can trick most of your environment, if you really, really tried the very first time you do this, doesn't mean that that's the right way that you should run this process. You know, we want to make sure that we are giving our users some initial training about what it is that they should look for. You know, the weird grammar, the things that don't sound right from the person that you're receiving them from. Maybe the URL doppelganger where I put a number one in where there used to be an L or I'm hiding something, just gibberish URL behind a link that they could have hovered on and taken a look at before they click. So start them out on the right path so we can get them some early wins because if we build an adversarial relationship with them where they don't trust us anymore and we're just out to get them, that's not going to go well for us and they're going to start to ignore us and it won't be the best that we can do for our organizations because as we work through this campaign and it should be a campaign and it should mm. continue over time we'd really advocate for continuous testing not everybody in the organization gets an email every day but as you do different groups and different areas continually you can maybe target one a quarter or one every six months and you can increase the complexity of what it is that they're dealing with so as they get better at recognizing things you can make it harder on them so that the next time they can make a better decision and then you have to know what you're going to do if they fail. And right. quite often people will fail. Um, I have a friend in a regulated industry. He just failed his third time for this year and he's getting a trip to a classroom training. So what are you going to do after the first one? Are you going to do some online remediation? Are you going to maybe have some coaching and do some one-on-one? -on -one? And if people continue to fail, you as an organization have to know what you're going to do about it. And it might just be that your training's bad. If you have the yeah. same little recidivism time over time, you're going to need to adjust your training methods because something's not getting through. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I think that's a great way to look at a, a phishing campaigns that you're running, especially internally, is it's not just testing your technology. It's not just testing your controls, your process and your users, but it's also testing your awareness and, and training, and which are two separate things uh, of your user base. And if users are failing, it's not their fault. Like you said, something's not getting through. Yeah, we definitely want to be tracking metrics across these different campaigns. So how many people clicked on the bad links? How many people maybe gave up critical data like a credential set or username and password? And just as importantly, how many people recognized that it was a fish and turned it in so that it got noticed by IT? And we want to make that part really easy as we set up these programs. If it's really hard for me to tell you that I saw something, I may not want to say something anymore because it's going to slow me down in my day. A lot of times it's as simple as phishing at mycompany.com, forward it to there. Mm -hmm. We'll take a look at it, decide if it really was something bad. If it is, we might need to give a notice to everybody because we've seen lots of crazy things these days. Um, it's amazing how many times you can even be effective doing CEO's name at gmail.com and just shoot that message out to some of the people inside of the organization. You know, hey, this is super secret. I trust you and I know you're not going to disclose this, but I need you to go and, you know, make a wire transfer over to this account to unlock our next round of VC funding and then we're going to announce it on Monday. You wouldn't think those things work, but they continue to occasionally get through. So mm. teach your users what not to see inside your organization. You know, we as a business are never going to send you outside emails to do work. Right. If you see that 
we want you to report it anyways, just so that we know about it, but you certainly should never take action on it. So getting that message through and giving them ways that they can recognize what's happening out there is going to make them better and it's going to make us better as we go along as well. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, a lot of the fishes are looking to do some type of financial transaction. And I think the processes for the organization have to be very clearly defined as to what verification steps are in place. It shouldn't even matter where the email comes from. If I'm going to be responsible for transferring money, there should be multiple steps in that verification mm -hmm. process that have to be followed, and that should be clear. If those are muddied waters, uh, those fish, some of those fishes are going to be successful. Oh, there certainly will be. And uh, we see organization size has a little bit to play with that. So the really large organizations have great controls. They've mm -hmm. generally implemented lots of things. There's separation of duties all over the place. And we see some of that same respects happening in smaller businesses because they're just a lot more homey. Everybody kind of knows everybody and they know what their job is. And they can tell when something's a little bit out of place. Like that person should never be asking me to do this. They know I right. can't handle that function. And they can walk you get over into to that, that big middle. That person. Yeah, they can walk over to the person's desk or whatever, right? Because they right. work all in the same office or, you know, they're on some kind of messenger thing because it's a small company. But I think you're right, Bob, that middle size uh, organization is, is susceptible. Oh yeah. It's a little looser. I mean, mm. even looking at somebody like us, we're not huge. We're a little under a thousand people, but we have remote offices in different countries. Sometimes I get a message from another country and I'm not quite sure if it's real or not. Cause I've never met that person. I've never seen that name. They might've just onboarded last Friday and you got to take a pause for a second and go check the director. And is this really someone that I want to interact with or not? Right. You know, and take that extra step. And people don't always do that. They're trying yeah. to go really fast. I'm sure that friend of mine, I know how he works. He's just click, 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 click. I got to get things done. And he just probably wasn't slowing down enough to read what he clicked on. And that happens all the time to people in different organizations. Yeah, it's so true. And there's, you know, that's part of the social engineering aspect of it is preying upon those times where they know people are moving fast in a direction. And the classic example is, you know, end of the quarter, end of the month, and your fishes are towards the sales department, right? Because they're processing things as fast as they can. And the attackers understand the environment that they're in and will prey upon that. <clears throat> Absolutely. You're trying to use fear or uncertainty or a sense of urgency to heighten the fact that they might click on this message, looking around at what's happening, because that's what the attackers do. So in the U.S. right now, it's benefit enrollments time for a lot of places. A really effective mm -hmm. campaign is sending that HR at mycompany.com email address. Here's an update to the benefits plan for 2020. Please see attached. And you're going to get a ton of people to click on that. Uh, you might also end up in HR if you didn't clear using an internal person's address as part of your um, training awareness campaign. So that's something we definitely want to be aware of is looking to who we might try and masquerade as, making sure that we have approval to use that if we're going to be using internal things like that. And also making sure that we're including everybody. C-level executives, um, high-level executives are very um, you know, important people that we want to make sure we have inside of our testing, just like everybody else. It's going to show the organization that there's bias and across the environment from everybody. Mm -hmm. And if they are compromised, you know, they're a very high risk target that we want to be aware of. So we don't want to target them and try and shame them or anything by pounding them all the time, but we do want to include them in the same training that everybody else is undergoing. And very important to get permission and even approval before you send phishing emails, right? You, you may get blanket like, yeah, go ahead and, and, and run your campaign. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations, you have to construct the fish and that has to be approved 
first before you can send it, right? So your HR example, that may or may not get approved at a certain point in time, uh, depending on, I know a lot of my pen tester friends are like, I came up with like a great fish, but it didn't pass approval, right? <laughs> you could really damage um, somebody or some department's reputation by doing some things on your own that really haven't gone through that approval chain. Or even sometimes people outside of the environment. You know, a great example is, you know, some of these places we have food trucks that come up maybe Wednesday or Thursday, they always show up and come out and they print that menu out and send it to everybody in the morning. That might be a great campaign mm. to get a ton of responses. I'm just going to fake that menu an hour before they usually send it, shoot it off to the whole place and see what comes back. You're going to get really negative feedback from your internal people for you know getting on to that activity that they enjoy. And quite honestly, you might affect that poor guy in the food truck because right. now you've messed with his business and they may not come back again. So we do need to be aware of, of what it is that we're doing and take some precautions around what we're sending. There are other ways for us to get the results that we're looking for because really that's what we want to be you know, cognizant of. We are trying to teach our users to be better at the last line of defense for us and be more security aware. And we just want to use an appropriate way to do that yeah and i also think the personal information of the employees also comes into play um some of the research i was looking at uh some of the phishing campaigns by uh red teams are using some of that personal data in their phishing campaigns and you know that again make sure that gets cleared right and also make sure your employees maybe are aware of it first right i don't think it's really a valid test if you don't do some type of awareness to your employees to go Look, if you go to this site and you see your information there, it's out there. It's public. Everyone mm -hmm. can see it. If you see that same information being used in a fish, be wary, right? Raise the awareness, then go do your test. I don't think it's fair to go, like, go do the test without a little bit of awareness first in a lot of cases. I think that's a really good point. Open source intelligence is just a wealth of information. And a lot of people don't realize how much they've put out there. You know, if you made your Facebook public or you're mm -hmm. posting everything you do up on LinkedIn, plus another hundred sites probably, you can go out and find out information. If I'm really an attacker and I'm trying to target an organization, I'm gonna do that kind of homework. And as I step up my campaigns and increase the complexity of my training, I'll probably wanna make use of some of that. And it may not just be emails, I could be bringing in voicemails into this. I could be bringing in social media posts possibly into this and posting a message up on someone's LinkedIn board. So there's a lot of ways that we can bring in additional training to raise the awareness, but you know, letting the employees know what might be coming, giving them a chance to maybe think about what they've put out there. You know, One of the funnest things about look for is just badge photos. Yeah. I got hired today, I got fired today, and they're holding up that badge with their ID and their picture, and you can see what kind of badge it is and what kind of system we might have to get around as hackers or pen testers. There's all kinds of information like that that we can find on social media. Yeah, and you know, the there's so much information out there, and it doesn't have to be, I think the users sometimes think it has to be relevant at the time, right? And so like I was doing some some prep for segments and I, I showed one of the other Secure Weekly hosts. I'm like, look, there's like, you know, your information. And he's like, well, look, look how old that stuff is. I'm like, but I can use that in a fish. I'm like, hey, was this your phone number? And like, if it was, and you want to retrieve the records for it, or you want to, you know, reclaim it, you know, click this link, right? So the information that you find doesn't even need to be relevant to construct the phishing attack. Oh, absolutely. The town I grew up in has a very unique spelling and pronunciation. And if somebody kind of found that and, you know, hey, I heard you're from Oconomowoc, right. 
I actually know where that is. We should talk or whatever. You know, it gives us a way to try and hook you to get you to open that up. Mm-hmm. And it's easy enough to pull that kind of information out and merge that into your campaigns. And people are going to do that if they're really targeting you. So you do eventually want to do those kind of things inside of your environment. Um, you know, being aware of the rules and, you know, those rules of engagement are important as well. And uh, the Core Impact product, of course, has, still has this capability, uh, which is really funny. We have this conversation because when I was a pen tester, I used it successfully on a few, a few tests. It was actually kind of funny. I would have exchanges with people, and they're like, "Oh, I couldn't open that attachment," and I'd be like, "Oh, try that attachment." It was like a different version of the exploit, <laughs> and that would happen like three times before they opened it, and I finally got the you know message: "New agent deployed." Um, and I'm assuming that's advanced, you know, uh, continued development uh, in a staple of the product today. Oh, absolutely. We're always moving forward with new tools and techniques, some additional updated document types and things that you can send. You know, one of the great ways if you're actually out doing a pen test, of course, is grab the youngest looking guy or gal on your team and give them a thumb drive and a clipboard and say, walk around and check for network speed or patch level and just see how many people let you plug that thing in because it happens all the time in larger organizations. You know, another thing we use a lot of Core Impact, and there's other tools that do too, is replicating websites. So if yep. I'm going to try and get your creds, the easiest way for me is go replicate a website you're used to going to. And there's also good ways to start defending against that now if you're on the other side of the house where you're trying to prevent these kinds of things. So you know, software technologies that let you embed beacons in the pages. So if my office page is ever replicated and launched from a different set of infrastructure, I'm going to get a notice back in the security letting me know that that's happened. So we also need to be thinking about the defensive side because we're evaluating these fish tests and we're looking at our own technologies and possibly mm-hmm. our own failures inside of those technologies. We need to start looking at how as an IT security organization, we can make our things better as well. Yeah. And so putting like a honey token inside of your uh, web uh, web page or web application is great, but then using the framework framework to test that, right? Because how do mm-hmm. I know if it really works? Right? So you take Core Impact, you go clone the site, and you make sure that it sends the beacon. And if it sends the beacon, does someone actually respond? Like, do you get a, do you get a phone call? Do you get a ticket? Like, does someone actually respond? I think it's important to test not just the technology, but the process and the people as well. Oh, absolutely. Does it go to dead air? Does it just get lost in the noise of other things happening inside of the environment? You know, and, and can we keep increasing those values over time? So we run our fish campaign in the first quarter and we run it again in the third quarter. We want to see an improvement of all of right. the metrics that we're looking at. And that's an easy way for us to validate that because we can rerun essentially the same campaign lists, just change the messaging around a little bit as we mm-hmm. go so that we can try and, and hit those same user bases. Fantastic. Bob, thank you so much for appearing on Hack Naked News. Thank you. And for folks that want to learn more, securityweekly.com forward slash help systems. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. We'll see you next time.